You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. You are a letter from Christ, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Friends, what Paul is saying here is that the Corinthian community, in all its messiness, its rawness, its humanness, is the embodiment of the Word of Christ. In other words, in this age of the new covenant, this Christian age, God's Word, His inspired truth, His Good news, his gospel is carried not through script on stone, but through fleshy, spirit-filled human beings. In this age of the new covenant, God's word is carried, hear me, not through script on stone, but through spirit-filled human beings. This means that you too, First Baptist Church of Freeport, are a letter from Christ, published for all the world to see. You too, in all your uniqueness, incompleteness, humanness, are the incarnation of God's Word for the world. The gospel does not remain a mere message a sequence of words to convey information. No. The gospel creates community. Enfleshed, incarnate community, which expresses God's word to the world. That is the idea that I would like to explore together this morning in our final message in the book of Romans. But before we go any further, let's take a moment to pray. Would you now? Pray with me. Lord, we love you. We need you. That's why we're here. We expect to encounter you. Please, Lord, sensitize us to your spirit. Open our hearts. Transform us from within this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the passage that I just read... And that was uh, read by our illustrious scripture reader, uh, Mike Whitney, is uh, not from Romans, but actually from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 3. Now, Paul had written 2 Corinthians before he set out to write Romans. And some scholars think that he actually wrote Romans from the city of Corinth, or at least nearby. The passage that I'd like to examine uh, this morning may come as a shock to some of you. It's Paul's final set of greetings in Romans chapter 16. Now, as I read the text in just a moment, and feel free to turn there if you haven't already, Romans chapter 16. As I read it, I want you to keep 2 Corinthians in mind. Paul, Paul thinks of the Corinthian community as the embodiment of the gospel itself, a message written on human hearts for all the world to see. Then, then he writes Romans 16, where he lists scores of friends, 
coworkers, and family members in Christ. So as, as I read, I want you to think about the, the theological weight of the letter thus far in Romans. I want you to think about the 15 chapters which come before this one. And then I want you to think about this list of names as the capstone, the climax, the apex of Paul's theological masterpiece, that is, Romans. Let's read. Romans 16, starting at verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponitus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphisa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Friends, this may be one of the most theologically masterful passages in the book of Romans. A list of names, greetings, postscripts. I know. But if Paul truly thinks that the gospel is published through human lives, then this passage enjoys pride of place in any study of this letter. (laughs) So what I'd like to do then over the next few minutes is not unpack the achievements, roles, activities of each person mentioned. I think there's 26. I'm not going to do that. Rather, what I'd like to do is examine the relational texture or complexion of the social network that's outlined here. I want to look at the ways in which these persons relate to one another, the ways in which they think of one another, serve one another, exist with one another, and reason from there about what this says about the gospel. How's that sound? All right. Well, if that's okay, let us begin then with Phoebe. Phoebe. Paul begins in Romans 16 by saying, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Now, to commend someone here is to present them, to introduce them, to publicly honor them. 
Phoebe is identified as a servant or a theokonos, deacon of the church at Cancrea, which was a coastal town near Corinth. Paul, a, a presumably single man, Jewish man, publicly commends, praises, honors this seemingly single Gentile woman, Phoebe. Now, many scholars think that Phoebe was the one to carry Paul's letter to the Romans. And in this list of names, some scholars have identified as many as six different house churches in Rome. If Phoebe was the letter bearer, that means she traveled from Cancrea or Corinth all the way to Rome, and then she would read, she would recite this letter cover to cover in at least six different settings. Now imagine Phoebe reading Romans, getting to chapter 16, and having to read aloud, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Imagine that. A servant of the church at Cancrea, this is a translation of the word where we get the word deacon, but in the early church, the role of deacon, especially at this point, it it had yet to be institutionalized like it is today. And it really meant a a person in charge of a certain ministry in the church. And so Phoebe was tasked with, was responsible for a certain ministry at the church at Cancrea. And so in some sense, she was a minister of the church at Cancrea. Not only this, but Paul trusts her so much as to entrust his famous letter to the Romans, to this woman, and to trust her enough that she would read it aloud. And what was common in antiquity is people would ask questions and she would have to answer them. Paul publicly commends this woman, Phoebe, trusting her with his letter. He commands the Romans to welcome her in verse 2, to help her in whatever she may need from you. As she moves from house to house, she needed lodging, food, etc. He says, do these things because she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. This word patron is debatable. It is related to the verb that means to direct or supervise, but it seems unlikely that she was Paul's supervisor, perhaps, but unlikely. What it probably means is that she was a sponsor a benefactor, that she helped support financially Paul's ministry. And so, in a sense, he's indebted to Phoebe. Friends, Paul, the famous Apostle Paul, a single Jewish man, entrusts his letter to the Romans to this single Greek woman, publicly commends her, identifies her as a servant, as a leader, a minister in Cancrea. And he commands the Romans to welcome her and to help her. The gospel creates communities in which men speak about women this way. There's no romantic pretense here, no ulterior motive. Paul is publicly commending this woman, his peer, his partner in the ministry, 
The gospel creates communities where this sort of thing happens. Let's move on then to Aquila and Priscilla. Rather, Priscilla and Aquila is the order you see it in the New Testament. Paul says in verse 3, Greet Prisca, a shortened form of Priscilla. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Now, Priscilla and Aquila were Jewish tent makers from Rome who had been evicted from the city at the edict of the Roman Emperor Claudius. So they had to leave. And Paul, in his missionary journeys, meets this couple in Corinth. And he works with them, building tents, and stays with them for about a year and a half. That's in Acts 18. It seems that Aquila and Priscilla came to know Christ. They became Christians through Paul. And together they established the church at Corinth. But then Paul leaves with them to Ephesus, a huge city in Asia Minor. And he brings Aquila and Priscilla with him. Then Paul leaves. And he leaves this couple in charge of the church at Ephesus. And that's where we meet this guy, Apollos. We preached on this in our Acts series. Apollos comes in and he's a charismatic, educated teacher, but he's only heard of the baptism of John. And this couple from Rome, Priscilla and Aquila, come alongside him, supplement his knowledge, help develop him as a leader, and he is launched into ministry in Corinth, the capital of Achaia, over Athens, a big deal. Now, Paul had discipled this couple, so he could have claimed credit for all of their successes in ministry. But he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, who had since returned to Rome, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, my co-laborers, my peers, my partners in ministry. He says, They risked their necks for my life. In verse 4, probably alluding to the riot in Ephesus, You can read about in Acts chapter 18. They they put their lives on the line in order to preserve and sustain Paul's ministry. Paul says, I am indebted to them. Not only do I give thanks to them, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. The gospel creates communities in which leaders like Paul Famous leaders like the Apostle Paul give those under them credit for their success. Paul could have claimed credit, like I said. Paul had led them to Christ, had produced these ministers, so the ministry that they produced could have been sourced to Paul, but he doesn't do that. Paul humbles himself publicly praises this couple, calls them peers, fellow workers in Christ Jesus. The gospel creates communities where that happens. And moving on then from the second half of verse 5 all the way to the end of our passage in verse 16, Paul mentions a host of other people. Now this is striking because Paul did not establish the church at Rome. He didn't. Some of these people he'd never actually met in person. 
Perhaps their paths had crossed in ministry. He'd heard about them. He had mutual friends. But he lists scores of people in these verses. And like I said, what I'm going to do is not walk through each name, but I want to identify and examine two adjectives that are used to describe several people in this passage. The first adjective is the word beloved, which you probably noticed upon first reading. Beloved. In verse 5, Paul says, Greet my beloved Eponitas. And then in verse 8, he says, Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet my beloved Stachys, in verse 9. In verse 12, greet the beloved Persis. Now, this word beloved, as you would imagine, comes from the Greek word agape. This was a love that secular Greeks didn't really write about. It's a love that is described in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. It enters the Greek language in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to speak of the love of God for his people. This is a fierce, unconditional, relentless, passionate love. And to be beloved is to be loved that way by another person. Paul talks about these folks, these Gentiles at Rome. These names indicate non-Jewish heritage. He's heard of them. His paths had, had crossed with theirs, and he can call them his beloved. Those for whom he has deep affection, sentimental connection, life-on-life relationship, love. The gospel creates communities where people from all walks of life, people from different heritage, different background, ethnicity, different lifestyle, become beloved to one another. Related to this is another adjective, that is the word kinsman, kinsman in our passage. In verse 7, he says, greet Andronicus and Junia, married couple, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. Verse 11, he says, greet my kinsman Herodion. And then lastly, the word kinsman isn't used, but he says in verse 13, greet Rufus and also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well, a family member, kinsman. Now, as I'm thinking about this sermon and uh, how to apply this particular point, I'm studying it in the original language, the original context, and I notice that this word does not carry the uh, sort of spiritual meaning that I had hoped it would carry. For Paul, this word literally means a fellow Israelite. (laughs) So many of the believers in Rome were Gentiles, and Paul singles out those who are Jewish and refers to them as his kinsmen. Now, I'm thinking about this, that, that may be how it was used originally in the first century, but we are reading this text not as a private letter, but as Christian scripture in the 21st century. And so I, I began to reflect upon what this might mean for us. 
Friends, if you read the New Testament, you see that time and again, the community of believers, the church, is referred to as a family, the family of God. In the letters to Timothy, it talks about older women treating younger women in the church like daughters, younger men treating older men like fathers, and the men and the women treating each other as as siblings, family. I began to think about this and how the gospel creates not only relationships in which you can call one another beloved, the gospel creates a new family. Family. And over the past few decades, the kind of traditional nuclear family has changed. Some people don't have a father in the home. Divorce has happened. Abuse has happened. Is still happening. People are longing, longing for real family. That's why these sitcoms like Friends are so popular because they find family in those who are not part of their biological family. The gospel, friends, creates communities in which people from all walks of life not only become beloved to one another, they become family, family to one another. The passage closes with this interesting little note, greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting was more common in antiquity than it perhaps is today. You'd see it in Jewish communities as well as early Christian groups but it would still communicate intimacy, affection, connection. You can think of a handshake, a half hug or a full hug today, even just a hand on the shoulder when you're going through a tough time. The sorts of things that family members would do with one another. Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. To return to something I said before, The gospel does not remain a mere message. It doesn't remain a sequence of words to convey information, no. The gospel creates community, enfleshed, incarnate community, which expresses God's word to the world. Paul is not content to close his masterful letter to the Romans. This letter replete with theological arguments, biblical support, rhetorical artistry. He's not content to close it without mentioning real, fleshy human beings. The bodies, the lives, the persons who themselves incarnate his gospel. The Phoebes, the Aquilas, the Priscillas, the Junias, the Rufuses, the Trifinas, Paul's gospel is incomplete, it's ineffectual, insufficient, apart from these human lives. This is uncanny. At least theologically, this is uncanny. We often think that Christianity can be reduced to a few statements Doctrines, propositions. But what Paul is saying, what he's showing, 
is that true Christianity, true new covenant faith can only be expressed through human bodies. The gospel, the inspired message of God for the world can only be effectively expressed through a community of human beings. These are not just any sort of community. The communities in which we commend one another, depend on one another, praise one another. Communities in which we risk our necks for one another, serve one another, serve as sponsors for one another. Communities in which we welcome one another, help one another, and encourage one another. And communities in which we come together from different places, different stages, different universes, and embrace one another as family. The community is the gospel preached. This message of God published through human hearts. That's what we are, friends. Or at least that's what we need to be. So as I close this message this morning, I pray that we would be a letter from Christ. That our treatment of one another, our opinions of one another, our relation to one another would look an awful lot like Romans 16. The gospel, friends, cannot be preached apart from human community. Let us preach the gospel then with our lives. And with that messy, very human task, let us now ask our Lord for some much, much needed help. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the incarnation of your heart in the community of believers, the church today. I pray, Lord, that we would be a letter from Christ, that in our, in our relationships with one another, our treatment of one another, our life together, that we would display to the world what your heart is like. We love you and we pray that you would just draw us closer in fellowship. Help us to be this sort of community. In Jesus' name, amen.